Turn with me in your, in your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter number 12. We've begun a new series on principles of right relationships. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't know about you, but I enjoy uh, having relationships that are right. Uh, I like it when uh, people around me, I, I have a good time with them, or uh, well, we can uh, enjoy just sitting down and having a good cup of coffee together, good fellowship. Those things are important. Or, or how about in your home? Isn't it good when your wife loves you? Amen. Wow. I tell you what, we need to work on that one, men. It is good when you, when you feel the love of your spouse, isn't it? And we're, we're grateful for that. And, you know, uh, my desire is that God would help us in our homes, in our church, and in our society, really, uh, that God would help us uh, be able to take these principles that Romans chapter 12 teaches and be able to apply them to our lives. And as we get to uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we talked a few weeks ago about the importance of this right relationship with God. Because all right relationships must be based upon the biblical relationship with our Father. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the greatest thing that you can do today to help promote relationships is to become a Christian. That's the greatest thing that you could do. The second thing we learned in verse number 3 was that uh, God calls us to humility. And, you know, it is hard to get along with someone who's full of pride, isn't it? But when we're willing to say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to just humble myself before you and before the Lord, uh, it's a lot much, a much better relationship. And so verses 4 and 5 today in, in our journey through uh, Romans chapter 12 teaches us another aspect of this, uh, these principles. And I believe it's something uh, that, um, that was very timely on God's part. When, we, when I began this series, I had no idea uh, what, would, what would be coming down the pike this week. But I believe that it's something that God knew before, uh, beforehand and has orchestrated as such. And so let's look uh, together at verse number 4 as we read this text of Scripture together. Romans 12 and verse 4. For as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for you. Thank you, Lord, for relationships, those that we have, Lord. And we thank you for the privilege, Lord, of, of just being able uh, to, to love others and be loved by others. But Lord, honestly, there are times where uh, we don't always sense that. And so I pray, Father, this morning that you would begin to work in hearts and lives and relationships in this room. That, Lord, our church would experience a supernatural uh, working of the Holy Spirit in, uh, in our lives, in our marriages, in our church. And that, Lord, we could spread that to our community, that they would see and know we are disciples by the love of God. We love you, Lord, and thank you for uh, what you've done for us as we talk about that this morning. May you draw us close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans chapter 12, 4 and 5, we see two verses that I think are really crucial here that teach us about right relationships because sometimes we forget in the midst of all that's going on to value one another, don't we? Two incidents this week really played out for us. The tragic events and the turn that our nation has been going in. The first one is one of a teenager, Nick Sandman, and that of an American Indian, Mr. Phillips. And how many of you saw this interview and what happened there? And it was taken and was blown way out of proportion, wasn't it? They took one picture and they, they really crucified this young teenager. And matter of fact, it was so, uh, it was, the rhetoric was so harsh toward them that they had to shut down the school, Covington High School, where he attends. Uh, and uh, it's a Catholic high school, but, but uh, they were there at, uh, on the lawn of, uh, well, not, excuse me, not on the lawn, but outside of uh, the White House, and they were doing a peaceful rally for March for Life. 
They wanted to demonstrate their support for life at all stages. And no matter if it's, uh, if it's before birth or if it's in the end stages. They wanted to just say, hey, look, we celebrate life together. And so as, they, as these teenagers were there together, uh, there, there was other groups there as well who were protest, protesting what they were there for. And Mr. Phillips and his group walked up, and, and uh, we see that he began to interject himself in the middle of all that's going on. And, and if you just look at the snippet, and, and I didn't get the picture, but I saw it um, on, on the media this week, of the, the snippet of, of Mr. Sandman, Nick Sandman, and he looks like a smug little teenager, doesn't he? He does. As one person said this, he has a face I want to punch. Wow. We're talking about a teenager here, a young man. And I tell you what, it was a very, very sad thing to see our nation so devalue the life of a young man like that. It was a sad thing to see our nation, our media, and other outlets, and not just, not just uh, television, but uh, you could look at Twitter pages or, or whatever you follow, and you could see the rhetoric that was played out was very, very costly for this family, for, uh, for these young men, especially Nick and his family. And I, I tell you, it was, it was sad when they, when they watched the whole video, they, they saw what really happened, didn't they? He, he wasn't in, in anything, but it didn't matter. The damage was done. And then the second thing we saw was probably the worst that, that we could have imagined. On January 22nd this week, we heard the news that the governor of New York signed into law the permission to uh, abort a child at any point during a pregnancy. Boy, that was, that was sad. It was a tragedy in, in, in our nation's history. And instead of going forward, I believe that we've gone backwards. This tragic event in a nation's history shows, shows how far we've fallen. 150 years ago, we had something we called slavery, didn't we? And we, many people, even preachers, ashamedly preached that people of a different skin color had no souls. They weren't even human. Isn't this the same rhetoric that they're saying about the unborn today? And I tell you that today we're, we're in trouble as America. I'm, I'm greatly burdened, greatly burdened this morning because Christ said this in John 10, 10. You can look on the screen. Brother Brian has, we've got a lot of scripture we're going to cover today, so I've, I've got it on the screen for you this morning. The key, thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Listen what Jesus said. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And I tell you this morning that I abhor the actions of New York, New York State, just like we abhor the actions of those who promoted slavery 150 years ago. It is no different. And today I, I, I call you this morning back to Romans chapter 12. As we look here in, in, these, in the text, we see that God is emphasizing that every life in the church outside the church has value because of what he's done. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse number 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. What a blessing that God has reminded us this morning to choose life. Choose to value this thing that God has given. And Jesus says, look, I don't want you just to have life, but I want you to have it more abundantly. But I tell you, church, we've got to be willing to rise and say, listen, God's called us to life, to be life givers, not life takers. And so this morning, as we gather today, in your bulletin, there are notes, but you're missing the first one. 
because I, I realized that there was something that we needed to hit before we hit the second two, and that is the value that God shows us from creation. And so this morning, I want you to see, go back with me in time, go back with me in our scriptures together to see that God has, even from the foundation of the world, promoted the value of life. Look with me. This is, Brian, you just hang, hang tight with me, brother. Genesis 1.27. This is not yet in, in the, the, the slides, but I want you to look back with me in Genesis 1.27 in your Bibles because I want you to see that God values your life, God values mankind above all the other creation. No other place in Genesis 1 do we see a place where, where God values things like He values the life of man. In verse number 27, it says, And God created man... In His own, what does it say, church? Image. In the image of God created He Him, male and female created He them. Listen, we don't find our value in what you say about me. Amen? My value is not found on Facebook by how many likes I get on a, on a post. My value is not found in the things that I own or the things that I do. My value this morning is found in the fact that Genesis 1.27 reminds me that God created me in His image. Mm. The problem is we have a value system conflict. You know, there's, there's two diametrically opposed systems at war here. There's two worldviews, if you will. One of them is a worldly worldview that, that uh, the evolutionists propose. And they say that, listen, you evolved from a cosmic accident. Amen. That's kind of what I thought too. Uh, all the things that we enjoy just, poof, one day happened to appear. An infinitesimal speck got really hot and was spinning really fast, and one day it exploded. Where did the speck come from? I always want to ask that question. But when that thing exploded, everything went out everywhere and there was chaos. And then from chaos, we find order, which, by the way, is opposed to, uh, to the laws that we recognize in our own science today. You cannot get order from chaos. And so they say, they say well, it rained for millions of years upon the rocks and then some sort of thing climbed out of the rocks and found another sort of thing that climbed out of the rocks and somehow or another they became another sort of thing and they became another sort of thing and millions and billions of years later, ha, oh, here we are. That sounds like a fairy tale I read to my kids. And I'm not here to, to mock anybody, but this is what I want you to see. That, that, that worldview says, you came from nothing, you're responsible for nothing. God's worldview is completely opposite of that today. God's worldview says, listen, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. Amen. Let's say that with me. Isn't that good? In the beginning, that's right. We believe the Word of God this morning. We believe Genesis 1. We believe that Exodus chapter 20 reminds us that God created the world in six days. Six literal days. Not, not time periods or period of times or anything of that nature. But we believe today that God's Word says that He created man and woman. We weren't an accident. As we consider all that's going on in our world today, let me remind you that a biblicist, which is what we are, starts with God. God is not a crutch. God is the Creator. And as we, as we consider that, that because we believe that it began with God, God created, and here we are as a result of, uh, of God being willing to breathe life into His creation. As we gather here this morning, we realize we're accountable to God today. 
The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians that we will all stand before God. What a humbling experience to know that. And it says not just that we are accountable to God, but we are valuable to God. You're not an accident. I don't care what your, your birth lineage says. If, if maybe you came from a, a terrible relationship, who cares? God intended for you to be here. You are valuable in the Lord's eyes. And so let's talk a little bit about this biblical value system because really when we look at the, the, uh, this issue of, of, of life, we need to understand what God's Word says. So where does life begin? On January 22, 1973, Roe Ro v. Wade determined this, and I quote, Legal personhood does not exist prenatally. This tragic ruling has led to the murder of millions and millions of precious lives today. One mother said this. This is, this is a quote. Nearly 40 years of age, and after four children, I found myself pregnant. My husband suggested an abortion. I knew it was wrong. I've suffered supreme remorse ever since. Our home has one empty bedroom, a constant reminder. The doctors could, could control my problem, but nobody can control my hurt and loss of a very precious life that God Himself created. I carry this around now, and for the rest of my life, this awful memory, the hurt is all mine. Listen, some people claim that life begins at birth. They say, they contend that until a baby is out of the womb, it is not to be considered a human being, it's simply a fetus. Mm. Others say that life begins when the fetus has grown and developed enough to live outside the womb if need be. This is typically five to six months of gestation. Others say life begins when the baby has a measured brain wave. And so the argument is that life ends when the brain waves cease, and therefore it's natural to assume that it begins when the brain, when brain waves do too, which is about six weeks old. Others claim that life begins when a baby develops a heartbeat. This is three to four weeks. Three to four weeks. Many times, many ladies do not even know they're expecting by that time. Others say, and this is what we believe, life begins at conception. So let's look at two things together. First, what does science say? And because I want to show, share with you a few things about uh, what science teaches us, and then I want to get into the Word of God. Because above everything else, the Word of God is the author and finisher of our faith. And so first off, let's talk, about, let's talk about this for a moment. The human cell is composed of 46 chromosomes. And of those 46, 23 come from the father and 23 come from the mother. The abortionists argue that during the embryonic stage of development and in the early stages of the fetal, fetal development, the baby could not survive apart from the mother's body. Their argument is, uh, that, uh, is that, to, excuse me, that it is moral to eliminate the fetus if so desired. But the truth is that if you were to take that same argument, you could, that baby could not survive outside of the mother's womb without her either. At nine months, a nine-month-old baby couldn't survive without that mother's care. Hmm. It's a biological fact of science today that only one cell is all that's needed from the mother to contribute to the baby. That one cell has 23 chromosomes. The father contributes one cell, and that has 23 chromosomes. Together, they come together, and they, at conception, at this point, a brand new person is formed. She, 
The baby doesn't need any more from the mother to continue to be a baby. The baby doesn't need any more from the father to, to continue to be a baby. At that point, it continues to develop on its own. It is attached with the umbilical cord, and the umbilical cord nourishes that baby. That just, like, just like you and I go to, are going to go today, this is my umbilical cord right here. Amen? It goes like this. Every time I eat, it nourishes this baby right here. I need this umbilical cord. And you know, just, just the same way, that baby in the womb has that umbilical cord that continues to nourish it, not delivering extra cells, delivering the nourishment it needs. After conception, the child receives no new or additional life from the mother. This is biological fact. Did you know what fetus means? The, the uh, pro-choice, and, and I, I take uh, issue with that as well, but because uh, you do have choice, uh, prior to the event. But they, they say, well, we're going to call it a fetus. It's not a baby, it's a fetus. It sounds a little, little softer to say it like that. Maybe like I'm going to have my appendix out or something of that nature. But you know what fetus means in Latin? Because it's a Latin word, it means child. So absolutely, it's a fetus. It is a child in the womb of its mother because a life is a precious precious thing. And that child is a life. And God has given it a soul and a purpose and a reason. Life is a process, isn't it? I, Pastor Tolbert and I often talked about the process of life. And as we, as we talk, we, he, he'd often reflect and say, you know, life, you kind of enter this world and you don't have any hair. You don't have any teeth. And you have to wear diapers. And you go up through life and you kind of get out of that stage and somewhere if you live long enough, you lose your hair, you lose your teeth, and somewhere along the line, if you live long enough, you might have to go back to diapers. <laughs> you know, life is a process and we're all in some sort of process in that journey. And you know, that, that life begins at the moment of conception when those 23 chromosomes and those 23 chromosomes mate together and we have this precious child that begins and, and a heartbeat develops just soon after that. And we see the brain waves develop and we see the lungs develop. And all of these things are happening in the precious life of this baby child. All within the womb. Let's talk about what God's Word says. Because I believe God's Word, I believe God's Word is, is inerrant, it's infallible, and there are no errors in God's Word. We can trust it. Back when science said the world was flat, the, world, the God's Word was saying the world was round. And so it's important that we see there are times when science errs, but God's Word has never failed us. We can trust it. So let's look at some scriptures together. If, you, if you're taking notes this morning, there's going to be a lot of scripture. Uh, and so just, just hang with me. Let's talk about Jesus as he stepped into manhood, not at his birth, but at his conception at Nazareth. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 20. It says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her in her is of the Holy Ghost. He's talking about Jesus Christ in the womb. It was already a precious soul and a precious life. Already his identity was Jesus. He didn't have to wait to be born to be called Jesus. He was already at that moment the Son of God. That's impressive to think about. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 31. It says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. The child that was already in the womb of Mary was already Jesus. What a, what a blessing that is. In the, in the New Testament, um, where it was original, written original, originally in Greek. And so uh, 
Greeks, in the Greek word language, there were a couple of different words for the word child. And so when we consider that, the Bible uses two different words for child. One of them is, is used extensively 98 times throughout the, um, the Greek New Testament is the word technon. And this word speaks to that of a child as viewed in relation to a parent. But there's another word that's found only eight times in the Greek New Testament. And this throws a lot of light upon that which the Bible teaches regarding the unborn. Uh, it is the Greek word brephos. Acts chapter 7 and verse number 19, there's, there, we're going to look at all eight of these passages together. And these, uh, the first six of them all deal with grown children. Acts seven nineteen. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated of our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. And so we see here this word children. This is the Greek word brethos, and it literally means, uh, excuse me, I just want you to see that God uses and chooses to use this in regards to a child that has already been born. Luke 18, 15. And they brought unto him also infants that he would, not, uh, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Again, the word infants, this word brethos. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, uh, 15. And that from a child, brethos, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes, brethos, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Luke 2 and verse 12, And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe, brethos, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And Luke chapter 2 and verse number 16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe, brethos, lying in a manger. All of these deal with children who are already born. But listen to these next two verses, because God then puts the same Greek word into the place where He's talking about an unborn child, John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1. In verse 41 it says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, Brethos, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Isn't that good to know? That God's Word is not silent regarding this issue. He sees this as a child. In verse number 44 of the same chapter, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe, Brethos, leapt in my womb for joy. To me it's blatantly clear that God considers an unborn baby more than just simply a wad of tissue. God doesn't consider uh, that precious child in the womb uh, just, just something that's disposable, but instead a human being, just as much as we do a child that runs and plays. Man, where, where does our value begin? At conception. Where, where, does, where does our value begin in the house of God? I tell you what. When we look around us, we should see that every person in church is valuable. You know what? It doesn't matter your past or, or, or the decisions you've made in the past because we can see that God finds value in you. Look at Jeremiah. I love this because we see that uh, in Jeremiah's life, that God gave Jeremiah a, a very difficult ministry. Jeremiah was a man we call the weeping prophet. And, and if you study his life, you see that, that he would preach and be shunned, and he would preach and be shunned, and he would be locked up. And, and Jeremiah had a very difficult ministry. And throughout his ministry, we see that Jeremiah uh, needed the encouragement that God gave him very, at the very beginning of his ministry. In verse number 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. Before Jeremiah was ever born, God already had a plan for his life. Amen. 
Could you imagine if Jeremiah or Mary, with their mother, uh, or excuse me, Jeremiah's mom or Mary, the mother of Jesus, had chosen abortion? Man. Jeremiah 20, verse number 17 says, Because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb was always great with me. Listen, he recognized that even in the womb, God saw him as a human being. When I look at my children, and I remember when our first child was, uh, I had come along, and, and boy, we were, we were excited about getting the first sound of life. You remember, did y'all, did y'all get that opportunity to hear that heartbeat inside the womb? I remember walking into that doctor's office, and I was so excited, I had my Blackberry out. I'm going to record this one. It was 11 years ago, give me a break. And I had my Blackberry out, and I said, okay, record it. And guess what? I still have that recording of the first sound of life from my child. Jeremiah was saying, listen, even if God had taken me in the womb, he says, I'd have still been Jeremiah. Amen. Ephesians 1 and verse number 4, Paul says this, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Before God ever laid the foundations of the world, we see that God had a purpose and a plan for, for our lives. God uh, looked out and He says, Listen, I've, I have selected, I have chosen, I have, I have ordained that you should be born in this world because you are precious life. You are precious in the sight of God. Both science and Scripture cry out that as a Christian, we cannot be neutral regarding the sins uh, of, our, of abortion. We must remain with our convictions, standing upon the Word of God. Whether it's politically accepted or not, whether people threaten or not, it does not matter because we must continue to remain uh, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We must continue to uphold that Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. Not that Jesus came to say, well, you can take life or give it. It doesn't really matter to me. He said, listen, I want people to be uh, able to have life. And so while New York celebrates the expansion of murdering the unborn, in Missouri, I'm excited what, what's going on in our own state. Did you know that we have a bill uh, on, in the House of Representatives called HB 680? It's the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Act that specifies that no, and I quote, no abortion may be performed or induced or attempted to be performed or induced if the probability or, or if the probably gestational age of the fetus has been determined by a physician to have reached the pain-capable gestational age. So while New York celebrates murder, I'm grateful that we in our state are, are trying to stand for life. And let me encourage you to be part of that. Be part of helping to spread the truth of, of, of uh, God's Word. And being able to you know, be involved and say, listen, I, I want my senator, I want my representative to know I stand for truth. It's not a political issue, it's a moral issue. It's not an issue about uh, uh, whether uh, churches can, uh, are in danger of their 501c3 status. Let me remind you this, this is a moral issue God wor- God's Word speaks to. Because God's reminder is that He holds value. He holds value in life, and it doesn't matter if they're very young or very old. Well, I believe it's Oregon that now has uh, working toward euthanization of the elderly. Assisted suicide. Isn't that sad? 
It doesn't start with the unborn or stop with the unborn, does it? And let me tell you, it will not stop with the euthanization of our elderly either. The continual, uh, the continual cycle of this will not stop with, with just those extremes, but it will continue just like we saw the Nazis in the 30s and the 40s. It continues and continues and it spirals until no one is safe who opposes those in rule. I'm so grateful that God reminds us today that His Word is supreme. Psalm 139 and verse number 13 says, For Thou hast possessed my reins, Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise Thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are Thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Listen, I'm grateful that God's Word reminds us today that every life, young or old, able or unable, is capable of, of being used of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Man, what a blessing that God's Word is to us, that we can continue to be faithful to the Lord, that we can continue to know that there is value in life. And as we look at the relationships around us, and we look at the relationships in our home, as we speak with our, our, our daughter or our son, or, or if it's to our spouse or our parents, I'm reminded that we need to be reminded that God finds value in that life. You know you bear the mark of God. When you, when you look at your spouse, when you look at those around you, when we look at those that maybe we oppose on the other side of the aisle, whether we, we do or not, for whatever reasons, it doesn't matter to me. You know what they, each of us, bear the mark of God. For you are made in His image, as we looked in Genesis 1.27. We're made in the image of God, and that is why Satan desires to destroy the thief cometh but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But God says that He comes so that you might have life. Today, God has a plan for every human life, doesn't He? He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. He has, a, has something that He has called us to do in our church. We recognize that God has a plan for us in our church today. That God is not done with us yet, is He? Amen. When God's done with this, we'll probably be never because I think even in heaven, He's going to have a purpose for us. I'm not just going to float around on clouds playing a harp. How many of you think that's what you're going to do? You're not going to raise your hand now, are you? You know, honestly, we get that, that Hollywood's rendition, that idea in our head that, you know, when I go to heaven, I'm just going to play a little, pretty little harp and float on a cloud. But I tell you, God's going to still have a purpose for us when we get to heaven. And that's to continue to glorify and honor the name of God. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11. Jeremiah 29 and verse number 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil. Listen, God's intention was not to murder babies. His thoughts were that of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, and when ye shall search for me with all your heart. God's got a plan for your life today. God, God has planned for you. God has, has value in your life. And I'm grateful that this morning that we can take time and say, listen, God values your life today because God loves you. You know, this morning, I'm grateful for every person. And, and please know that if you're here as a person who has ever committed an abortion, let me tell you, God loves you. God's not here to condemn you and remind you of your sorrow and, and all the things that you've been through already again. 
But instead, he opens his arms wide as he did on the cross. And he says, won't you come to me and experience the forgiveness that the cross offers for you today. 1 John 1, 9 reminds us if we confess our sins, help me church, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can't imagine the weight that you've carried, but I'm grateful for the hope that he offers. And today, please know that there is healing when you come to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ offers you healing because I know, you know, our soldiers come back with PTSD and in some ways many women who've gone through that and even their, their, uh, those who their spouse has gone through that, they also suffer. And today you're not alone. Jesus Christ offers you hope in your, in, in your desperation. Maybe you're a physician. Maybe you've participated in such things. And let me remind you of James 4.8. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. God says, listen, draw nigh to me. Cleanse your hands. Be willing like David said, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. God says, listen, when you come humbly to the Lord Jesus Christ today, there is no sin that's too great that His grace can't cover. And I'm grateful this morning that when you come, when you repent and say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. God, there's no way that that I could ever experience the hope of heaven because of what I've been through and what I've done. Then when you come to Him humbly, He says, you're forgiven. It's over. It's past. Your sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. He says, I'll never remember them again. They're cast into the depths of the sea and no man can drag them out again. John 8, 11 says, She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn them. Go and sin no more. And so I come back to Deuteronomy this, this morning. I come back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verses number, verse number 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live.